to. Um, well, okay, um, let's go. It's a uh, okay. Dedicate. Yeah, what's uh, thinking about dedication? That's Let, a white let's spectrum. dedicate this one to uh, to our parents. I mean, they obviously yeah. had great kids. So, <laughs> I think if my parents guarded me more about horror movies, I wouldn't appreciate them as much. Right, oh, yeah. it's, it's something like you can't have it, then you really want it, right? My my parents, yeah. the only thing was my dad was a uh, ambulance driver and firefighter, so he'd seen a lot of stuff that you know makes him not want to watch horror movies. But right. he's the same guy who'd walk into the room and be like, "Why is she going up the staircase? She should be going out the door." Right, you know. Whereas my mother, her only problem was nudity in film, like. Someone gets naked in a horror movie. She runs up to the screen. She's like, no, don't look. I'm fast forwarding. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't mind so much the I death and dismemberment. So let's do it, Kyle. Let's dedicate this uh, episode to both our parents. begin i'd like to give a shout out to um on twitter at six six betty kathy um i told her i'd give a shout out before we begin uh her and i correspond a lot and uh, talk about movies on twitter um she's definitely a nora fan and she watches nora alley and uh definitely a film fan and she used to be a disc jockey so uh shout out to you kathy thank you for listening all right we're back on the st paul Filmcast, and with me is kyle from goatfilmreviews.com we'll put the link on there as you are involved i think more like halfway through your 31 days of horror review i am it's been a great month so far <laughs> I, I can't wait to keep going i got some surprises in store uh, okay a couple announcements before we get started i will be at ValleyCon this weekend in fargo north dakota uh, check it out, uh, ValleyCon. I put the link on to uh, see if you're interested. Come see me. I like to see listeners um, and uh, uh, people that like the show and talk to me. Um, I'll be up there promoting the show as well as my comic book, uh, the Noir Green Wave that we talked about previous episode with John Adele. Uh, and if you're interested in purchasing a copy, I put the link on the website to uh, find it. It's on indieplanet.us. I'll put the link up there. Is that right? I think it's indieplanet.us where yep. the website is. Uh, available for hard copy and digital. Um, there's two books available uh, on that website. So, um, But you can come see me at ValleyCon as well. Um, we also have a theater company uh, production um, that's going to promote an ad here. Uh, I'm just going to read it out here. Uh, Oxford comma theater cooperative takes on Edward Elby's unforgettable classic in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf tells the story of the volatile marriage between George and Martha, a middle-aged couple who invite a young married couple, Nick and Honey, to have a drink with them after a long night of a party. And as the night unfolds, a group descends into a mindless games of cruel jokes and seductions as the clock strikes on. The secrets which held each couple together begin to unravel. Uh, we definitely if you want to get pre-order tickets. Uh, we'll have the website to Dreamland Arts. It's that's where it's going to be performing at. Um, it's going to be starting at the beginning of November, featuring the talents of Gary David Keat, Catherine Kupicki, Aaron Lacats, and Callie McGillen. Um, definitely, I will be there to see Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf. I love that play. It's a it's it's a kind of that I love that kind of context of I'd rather be 
in my delusion, knowing it's a delusion to face reality. Mm. Right? Yeah. Which we've seen that already in movies uh, already with even with the, the Joker. I'd yeah. rather have my delusions know it's a delusion than face reality. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing. That's what film, that's what storytelling is. Let's not face reality today. Let's go spend two hours of it somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I'm talking about when John interviewed me and I, I relayed that all movies are a simple investigation. You're, you're really looking for clues and investigating what the story is and ask, answering all the questions of who, what, where, when, and how and why. Mm-hmm. So that's how I kind of convey it. It's a little more, you're right. You want to get separated, you want to get divorced from reality and go into another world. Mm-hmm. But it also let you not just use your mind to figure out, you know, the simple catch them, not to just a simple detective story, but think about it like a movie is always about you going into somebody's world and what's that all about. Yeah. Even at the smallest level, I think even if a filmmaker is not trying to add anything or not trying to examine anything, yeah, there's yeah. still a part of himself or herself that really gets examined you know, yeah. on purpose or accident. I think it does happen. Well, Pablo Picasso, Pablo Picasso the great artist, mm-hmm. somebody asked him as a film critic uh, or art critic, asked him, how can we don't do self-portraits? And his simple response is, everything I do is a self-portrait. <laughs> Portrait by self. <laughs> yeah. Everything I do, every film I do is a self, tells you right, it mm-hmm. tells a self-portrait. So um, during prep time, I kind of put you on the spot and when I had a good answer because uh, we're going to talk about horror movies and just a general spectrum of horror movies because we're in the October and everything. But what is your great movie? Because you like cats. What's a mm-hmm. great horror movie that featured cats in it? It's funny because like in my, in my head, it always, you know, oh, perfect. I, I had said Cat's Eye during prep. And yeah. I, I do love Cat's Eye as a Stephen King. It's but funny because only Stephen King stuff comes to mind. Yeah. And why did I miss Pet Cemetery? Pet I Cemetery? absolutely adore Pet Cemetery. Uh, it's my wife's favorite book book at least favorite stephen king book yeah it might it's not, be your it's favorite not a short book. story isn't it no no it's uh well, three four hundred pages yeah and it's it's one that actually he did not want to publish he finished writing and he goes this is too much like this is too much down that rabbit hole of like darkness that i don't think people are going to connect with it and you know it's one of his more popular books of course it's been made into a film twice one of the films even had a sequel so i mean it's it's really quite something so i would say like it's always those stephen king cat things i don't know why sleepwalkers you know sleepwalkers was coming to mind too i <laughs> i i almost upgraded my dvd copy of sleepwalkers to blu-ray this week so it, yeah. it's in the mindset so <laughs> have you ever ventured uh, cat people have you ever watched that? yes okay yeah so i've seen uh the original cat people the black uh, and white one yep and then the sequel um, Which is not really much of a horror movie. No, it's, it's actually. I think it's actually taught in um, psychology classes. Is it really? Yeah, I, I I can't recall exactly like what the study is for, but I remember reading somewhere it has to do with you know I think like uh, like grief and like multiple personalities and like some of the different things that like it, it examines and it kind of tears apart without you thinking. So it's more of a drama. Well, the original concept of cat people was if she gets. You know, her nether's twitched. She mm-hmm. turns into a cat. When yeah. she gets aroused, she turns yeah. into a cat. It's to the best of us. <laughs> so, but then uh, about two yeah. years ago, we discovered, uh, the wife and I actually watched the remake. Uh, the Paul Schrader. Paul Schrader, yeah. yeah. And what a what a wild odyssey It's that not a one horror. Is. I don't think it's more, it's more sexual it's, than horror. Uh, yeah. There's definitely horror elements to it. You know, oh, like, yeah, I, yeah, think, yeah. I think if you were to say, you know, that you watch it on Halloween because it's your favorite scary movie, I think I can't fight you on that. I do you know, like the ending of that. Yeah. It's, of the uh, remake. Oh, man. I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but yeah, that, check and, out any and all of the cat peoples. Because <laughs> that ending, Paul Trader, that ending has, you could go so many different ways and watch mm-hmm. it so many times. You're like, what? Yeah. Is it? Well, er, yeah. 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 And it, it's too bad that I, I don't think enough footage survived uh, 
the the film because you know like they definitely made some a, a few different cuts of the film yeah and i don't think we're ever going to see any of the other ones but it's, it's just such a fascinating film that really it gets weird <laughs> and it's it's yeah. funny to say like there's a lot of like shot composition in, in the cat people from paul schrader that like i feel reminiscent like you see things in like black panther you see things in the lion king where like a shot almost mimics something from them and i don't know if it was done by accident or not but you know it's gorgeous cinematography that just seems to have like permeated very you know saturated yeah yeah very full mm-hmm. right yeah um i don't know how you know the only reason i pop it up and because there's very there's certain movies that are very pronounced with cats featured mm-hmm. in, in the title like you know i i would even broad the spectrum that the howling is kind of a Cat, oh, yeah, cat, cat, cat. yeah, but I that scene in Alien, oh, yeah. when Harry Dean Stanton gets killed, but you see it through the cat's eyes. Mm-hmm. You don't see it, but you see it through the cat's eyes. That actually feels it is more terrifying because a cat is like, whoa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Jonesy's the only the only character to make it out of that series. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, Jonesy lived a long full life afterwards. Um, because yeah. that scene is this. It's it's great because yeah. again, too, I think when you get a film that's that's really going to stretch that budget which alien does alien doesn't have as large of a budget as you expect no and they really right. stretch that and they got to work with the sci-fi i think you spent all of it on the set <laughs> yeah the set and then a guy in an alien costume that thank goodness they knew how to shoot it because if you see that thing like with the guy just standing in it and some of the like set photos that yeah. was not going to scare you but it was shot so nicely that it gets away with it i think it's just one of those things maybe they couldn't even afford to to have harry dean stanton you know ripped to shreds they were like okay let's do it like this and you know it's a, it's a very jaws thing you know it's what you don't see and can imagine you know yeah what you don't see mm-hmm. jaws i don't that regard it is a horror movie but it's almost like a blockbuster kind yeah, of a horror you know what i i get people that tell me it's a horror movie and I, I again i won't fight it i've never thought to watch jaws during the halloween season right. and you can say maybe it's because it's set on july 4th and all that kind of stuff but i watch piranha on Halloween. I watch, you know, so I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I yeah. guess it's a horror film. I you think know, it's kind of like that debate of, of Die Hard. Is it a Christmas movie or not? Like, I guess it's a horror film. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't, it's hard for me to just, what's your top 10? Of course you could put it in your top 10, mm-hmm. but it's something like, let's go watch a horror movie. You don't say, let's go see Jaws. Yeah. 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 That's the kind of the way I go about it too, is, you know, when people ask me, uh, I was kind of just going through my head about like, have I ever come up with a top 10 horror movie list for me? Have I ever have really you ever, yeah, ever written it, it down? And so I took the energy today and I said, I'm going to pick the top 10 movies, the ones that I watch every year at some point during the year. And I'm going to write them down. And when alien came up, I said, I can't, I can't do it. Cause alien to me is more of a science fiction film than a horror film. I watched it later on in life where, you know, like it didn't affect me from a horror aspect so it's like i just i can't put it on there but if i see it on somebody else's list i'm not gonna fight them right it's just for me it's like you do the old know. adage you go ahead but you're just not gonna get it from me yeah <laughs> i mean i'm proud of you <laughs> right. i i've done that many times for mm-hmm. sure that's a great movie you're just not gonna get it from me yeah that's i had right. the same thing with uh the thing the thing was on my list for a good amount of time and then as i'm like crossing films off to add other films to this top 10 i'm like you know the thing is kind of more of a dark sci-fi like was i ever really scared or was i more just fascinated and i think it's more the fascination for me um have you seen the original the thing i've not it's fascinating for simple reasons i think it's it's a black and white Mm -hmm. they're in the arctic but they know somebody is not um they're not the same right Mm -hmm. they know somebody but it's generic it's not like 
and they're always oh, it's fast they're always opening doors mm-hmm. throughout the whole movie i think you can count 20 times they open a door and it's one of those it the delivery you know fake 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 and all of a sudden without paying attention somebody opens the door there mm-hmm. it is but it's i think it's a metaphor for spread of communism yeah yeah that's the whole that's a point of the thing and the invasion of the, the body statues that Somebody looks like normal, but underneath they're not. Right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's the thing. He's spreading his propaganda. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's what makes a, a great remake to a horror film for me. And a great remake in general is if you can find a way to apply it to something else. You know, as much as the, the thing remake is so much different than that film. Because, again, right. I haven't seen it, but I've, I've seen still images i've seen clips it's very I've seen stiff. bits and pieces and it's yeah. a very different film for yeah. for it's you know it got the same shell but on the inside it's a whole different thing you know don't mess with the dog yeah why did it be a dog <laughs> i don't know better than a cat i mean <laughs> <laughs> so what else was if you have your list i brought it with today i've got it on okay. this really great if you uh, want is, what's another one would you like to mention so on your list I've, I, I've talked about Halloween multiple times so I'm not going to bring up Halloween this time you guys can go on my website uh, goatfilmrefuse.com uh, and you can read all about my love for Halloween so I'm going to go with a couple other weird ones have you ever seen the 1986 film House of course with yeah. William Cat. yeah I adore House it's it's. I don't think people at the time people thought it would be not what they expected they mm-hmm. thought it'd be a gross out slasher house whore you look at the cover it's a bony thing oh yeah and you come away and you go man that's funny <laughs> well it's weird for me because I, I watched it really yeah. young and yeah. it did scare me it, it's that film and like i think there's a few other films right like, i think it works like for ghostbusters 2 scared the heck out of me when i was a kid and i've grown to find it com- like the comedy comes as i watch it more and right that's is that the same s- thing with house it's just yeah. the more i watch it the more i find that comedy but i still remember the way i felt uh, you know, like watching it the first time, like the first big scare in that film involves a closet. And when that happens in the film, I still get tensed up. It's like youth Kyle. It's just like, oh man, we're in for a ride. And I think houses is, it's, it's more disappointing that the franchise never took off. There, there's four really house should, films. Right, yeah. Technically right. three. There's, there's techni- house, there's there is house two, the second story and yeah. there's house four because the third film was actually a film called the horror show which was released in other countries as House 3, but it's not, has nothing to do with the other films. Uh, and so then when they sound, made a sequel like in America, kind of thing, yeah. they made House 4. So it's one of the rare film franchises that there is no House 3. <laughs> it's 1, yeah. 2, the horror show, and 4. And none of them really rise to that level. Uh, house 2 is more of a, a like a black comedy. It's more of an adventure film. And then House 4, it, it's, it's kind of like, 2 a.m. TV trash. William Cat returns for about two minutes. Okay. And then it seems to take nothing else from any of the other films, kind of goes off on its own tangent, and it's just, it's not good. And it's really un- unfortunate because it's one of those franches I, I feel like you could do almost anthology-like. Yeah. Where every time you make a sequel, it's the same house, but a different like set of horrors matched to a different person. Okay. Like, it'd be so much fun to do that. And it, yeah, I, I just think I, like, I it'd still be running that. today if it was going on like that. I agree with that. I agree with that. And it, of course, he, he's a character that's dealing with PTSD. Yeah. Right? Post-traumatic and the way they handle Vietnam, PTSD yeah. is, is incredible. Using right. flashbacks and using the house to kind of bring out his inner demons. Uh, you know, I think they make floating garden tools kind of creepy still you know like the creature design is so good it is in that film and there's some most creatures in the film appear for a shot and it's funny that is it's almost like his neighbors are in on the joke yeah 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 (laughs) 
um <laughs> you're really gonna move in there right yeah, yeah. well it, george went plays the neighbor yeah and yeah. you know he's he'd been primor- primarily cheers at that point i don't i don't know if he really had anything else that was a claim to fame um no he's primarily a Act, yeah. and and coming in on it too I, he's talking about like william Katz, you know aunt who you stole in the place doesn't realize that it's the aunt and she's like oh just just an old bag man i wouldn't be surprised if someone just went up there and offed her and she goes he's she was my aunt oh heart of gold that woman yeah <laughs> <laughs> where it's like that kind of stuff like again as a kid didn't i didn't find that funny because i was no. so interested in the scares and so it's really weird to kind of transition into that horror comedy for me which is exactly what its director steve minor was doing steve minor had only made horror films at that point he wanted to direct comedies he wanted yeah. to direct other kinds of films uh he, he did two of the friday the 13th films and he kind of used this as his like gateway to comedy because the script was actually horror and he tried to infuse more comedy to it and as you can see he went on to direct soul man so i mean that's it's, <laughs> it, it's i think it's the same kind of hand mm-hmm. comedy and horror mm-hmm you know whether drama and thrillers kind of but i think it's the same kind of struggles of writing it and showing it and everything i think directing comedy and directing horror are very similar because you get it it really comes down to one important factor which is timing it's can you when can you time the laugh when can you time the fright and that's why you get a guy like jordan peele who's making horror films but he's he's a comedy he's a comedy guy like yeah. and even his horror films have a little bit of comedy to him but if you watch things like he and peel you can almost tell which like sketch sketch he wrote, he yeah. wrote <laughs> because it was all things like like the gremlins 2 sketch from key and peel where it's just like okay this came from a guy who really cares about gremlins too you know <laughs> yeah so there you know there it comes down to all right well i like that i like how i think how it does it's it has that certain following where you know people of horror fans if you just say it, then you know there, there's somebody who likes horror. Yeah. It's going to be on their radar. I, I tell people House, and I have to say it's like 1986. I have to kind of describe it because people think of like the show House. And then no, there's no. also like my my Criterion fans, like my high art fans. No, but if of, you go like to Crypticon and you say oh, oh, yeah. House, then you know they're not talking yeah. about the TV show. But there's also another horror film called, called House, uh, which was made, I th- I'm going to guess it's the late 70s. Uh, and it's it's an Asian uh, horror film that's just bonkers. Toho wanted like wanted to make just this bonkers film, and they hired a director. And it's got like a bunch of girls who go stay at a house, and a bunch of weird things happen. You know, like the the house kind of comes to life and stuff. But it's yeah. very campily done. And like at one point, they're like heads come off their bodies and float around the house, and it, it's just bonkers. So I, I would suggest if you can find a copy of that version of House, watch both of them because they're both fantastic. <laughs> Um, another right. one that That's I on always go to and I always have to tell people to watch is Suspiria. Now the remake or the original? The original is is the one I'd put in the top 10, but I really, I find a lot to love about the Suspiria remake too. They're both such right. different films. And again, it's just like that thing uh, argument or the fly where, you know, you take something that was a classic and you have done it completely different and there's things to love about both of them. But to me personally, the original will always stand in, in my top 10. Yeah, the Dario Argento one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a there's film I discovered only a couple years ago. But the I, I just there's some good things it. about the remake that yeah. I really like. That, I think that, yeah. the remake for me, I didn't get to catch it in theaters. I really wanted to catch it in theaters. Um, I'd heard all these you know people that were getting up and leaving the theater because of how horrifying it was. And I, I think they kind of oversold me on, it's kind of like with Joker, where like they oversold me on how dark and disturbed it is it's dark and disturbed but it's more again like on a mental level on an emotional right. level there's not as much gore to the film until it's the third act now right, yeah, yeah. the third act is like, <laughs> all Ooh. bets are off at that point they must have used yeah. all the blood then uh but the original like suspiria i think 
It's a gorgeous film. It's it's got that uh, it's color. Yeah, the first everything you, about it's almost it, like it's Mandy. Just, the first thing you think about is just is mm-hmm. color. Yeah, right? and when you see something like Suspiria, I don't know if you can look at a frame from that film and not immediately think of Suspiria. Like you see that color palette on on display there, right? Yeah, uh, and just and the Goblin soundtrack. <laughs> Yes. I, I'm not going to lie to you. During my previous uh, my previous life working in management, I would write my schedules for my team to work while listening to Goblin's soundtrack for Suspiria. I don't know if that says me writing a schedule was uh, was kind of you know awful, but just live. You're just your managing. Life, you know. You're managing the dance hall. Yeah, I think most people just <laughs> didn't bother me then when I was writing schedules because they'd hear like that ha ha ha, ha coming yeah. up like through the walls of my office. So. Uh, yeah, Suspiria, I think there's so many elements of it that are unique, that stand alone. Like when you hear that soundtrack, you think Suspiria. When you look at a frame from the film, even if you didn't recognize any actors, you, you'd see Suspiria. It's, I would say it's not gashly frightening, but it's very unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, some. F- and what's that too, where they you know, use the uh, actor's actual language? They're speaking their actual language and it's uh, coded over in english there's a term for it and i'm blanking on it but not like dubbing well i mean it is it is dubbed over in english but they yeah. they use another term for it and i just i can't think of it but it's it's such an odd thing where that should pull you out of the film you know how every actor some of them are speaking english and some of them are speaking their own language and they're getting mouthed over in english and it kind of does like you know it kind of it takes looks, you out of it for a second right it looks like it's skipping and you're like what what yeah that you're part of this psychological and torment. i knew like i showed it to my wife last year on my birthday because that's what you do. Uh, and we started watching it and she immediately <laughs> said like, is this going to be that movie? Like, is it, it's another language or something? And I was like, no, just sit, just yeah, sit yeah, and enjoy yeah. it. She loved the movie. Watched the remake with her a couple months later. She loved the remake. And I think it's, it's just so accessible. And I would say the original is way more accessible than that remake. If anyone tells me they right. watched the remake and hated it, I'm not going to fight them on it. I think it's brilliant, but... I understand. It's a little a, long. Yeah. Um, the third act does stretch it a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's some some elements that need. It really did. I think needed like a second editor. I like the writing of it. I like the yeah. build up. But yeah, it's a film too. Like for its length, it requires multiple viewings. And right. it's funny. I've had a lot of people when I came out and talked about how I didn't like Midsummer that said to me, "But you like the Suspiria remake?" And I'm like, "You know, they are kind of more similar than I would have given them credit for. They're both like odysseys." that are talked about for their disturbing quality, but it's never a physical dis- disturbing as much as it is that emotional disturbing. Yeah. So the more and more people have talked to me about that, I'm going to give Midsummer another try. So. They're just not going to get it from me. Yeah. That's the, that's the tagline. <laughs> Good for this. you. <laughs> They're not just good. Um, Italian horror always, I love it. It's just close-ups upon close-ups just fills up the screen, the faces and everything. Mm-hmm. And anything that's important is a close-up, right? It just yeah. close-up, zoom in on that, right? Yeah. And just heavily, heavily allegorical mm-hmm. if you did watch Italian horror. You know, and for my love of for my love of Suspiria now, I just had just mentioned it here. I hadn't watched it until a couple years ago. It was actually because of 31 Days of Horror. That that, you, yeah, I, it came up as like a free movie on a site. And I was like, oh, well, I'll, I'll watch. I'll watch this. I, you know, I've always thought it'd be interesting. I never thought I was going to fall in love with this movie. And in fact, I, I kind of fell asleep watching it that first night where I had to pause it. And I woke up the next morning, ate breakfast and finished it. And it just it stayed with me. And then later on that day, I watched it again. And it was my introduction to Argento. I hadn't seen any of his films. Dario Argento. Yeah. 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 And he's not that, just like, Asia's. More. Yeah. He's not just Asia's dad. Oh, he, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what's another one that's fascinating uh, another one I want to talk about is Day of the Dead 
Day of the Dead. Because, Which one? Uh, the 85 Romero film. Okay. There there are three Day of the Deads. I, I think I brought that up when we had Wes Johnson on the show as well. Yeah. Uh, don't watch the other two. Um, unfortunately, I just this I didn't is the get shopping to watch mall. out of them. Uh, no, Dawn of the Dead is the shopping, shopping mall. Shopping mall is Dawn of Day the of Dead. Day of the Dead is the uh, underground military bunker. Yeah, okay. And I didn't include Night of the Living Dead on my top 10. I didn't include Dawn of the Dead because I think both are really praised as like they do get a lot know, of exposure. they're the two that everyone talks about uh people don't really talk about day of the dead as much and i think it's a perfect melding of all the kinds of horror uh that i really connect to it's got the it's got the gore factor it's got the like emotionally distressing factor i mean this is yeah. literally humanity's last stand they're well, trying to find they, a cure so it is the logical step if you're doing a trilogy because mm-hmm. you get disbanded everybody is disheveled then you're going to indulge, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to go to the mall and indulge because everything is rotten and nobody's, no, kind of the morals are kind of gone. Mm-hmm. But then when you want to get back into society, you need some kind of militant to do so. I yep. think it's a logical step if you do, right. And I think it's it's just, it hit me in like a really personal place. I think I saw it at like 10 years old. I called in, or I actually had my parents call in and say that I was sick uh, at school one day. And then I just watched, I watched Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. It was a great sick day. What can I say? Sorry, mom. (laughs) Uh, But Day of the Dead was the one that stuck with me the most because I think it's the one that felt the most real to me. You know, this is, you know, a group of people, there's a scientist in a bunker with a bunch of military people and they're just trying to find a cure for this thing, trying to turn it around. But it's almost like everyone knows inside their head, they're not going to, do it they're not going to be successful and it's kind of that just busy work kind of a movie and it it hurts like it hurts to watch and like it it's all the things that i praise like a film like joker for where it just like it doesn't make me feel good watching it but it is so expertly done and and some of the the effects in that film look just as good in 85 as they do today whereas i think think some of the effects from like a 68 night of living dead 78 dawn of the dead have aged I think 85's Day of the Dead looks really good still. If you, yeah. um, I think, and, and then I think they did a remake of Day of the Dead too. So they did with, a uh, remake in Mina Savari, 08. Right? Yep, with yeah, Savari, we, ironically directed by Steve Miner, who directed House. Um, but we're not going to talk about that because <laughs> House is really good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the 08 Day of the Dead, yeah. I was very excited for it. I was like, wow, they're remaking one of, like, one of my favorite horror films, probably my favorite zombie movie. And... I got really excited. I bought that one. I, I got home and I can't honestly tell you if I've even watched the last five, 10 minutes of it okay. because I just, I was so bored and I was so broken by what this movie could have been and what it ended up being. It's sad because the first 10 minutes is just all, it's, it's all talking and rounding up and parking cars. It's like, wh- what are you doing? Yeah. yeah. And, and you realize that they're not, they're not really going to try and, and do it the right way. Yeah. You realize that about 10, 15 minutes in, and I tried to hold out as long as I could, but it's just, it hurts. It hurts to watch a film that you love get remade, especially when you're like on yeah. the side of it, when you're like, they can do this right. And I think part of it was that I'd seen the Dawn of the Dead remake and I was like, they can do it right. And I think even the Night of the Living Dead remake from 1990 yeah. was really good too. And so I thought, okay, we've had successful remakes of these films. We can do it again. And then Day of the Dead just missed that mark and it missed it far. Romero's last one was the one with... Uh he so did uh he did land in 05 with, with dennis hopper was in it uh land was in 05 he, land actually, in did, 05. he actually did 
two more after that. Yeah, Land of There's nothing wrong with Land of Land of the Dead. Land of the Dead is a perfectly fine movie. I think yeah. if you just it it gets compared to the three predecessors. Yeah. And rightly so. And it's it's the fourth best of those four films. You know, it it's good, but it's just it never really hits that level of you know, it, you know like of what we've seen before i think they put too much in land of the dead because mm-hmm. it's all about class you know the rich people live down here yeah and then you have a lot of points <laughs> the zombies visually all of a sudden they're conscious of what's going on and they're getting abused they're watching people use them as target practice mm-hmm. which is defeating them and they're getting upset and they're revolting yeah there's a lot of themes too, maybe even too much that are put onto land of the dead and it's also it's it's some of the themes that we've seen before in day of the dead day of the yeah. dead has its it's has its bud which is it's like sentient zombie which what we see kind of you know in land as well it's also something too where like bud picks up a gun and he uses it like he tries to actually like shoot someone in, with an unloaded weapon in day of the dead so it's it's kind of a logical progression but i think it's it's something where it just it didn't really go where people expected it to go and part of me thinks it might have been a little bit of studio interference too because this is the, the, the one he brought to universal so I feel like, you know, he wanted that big budget because he wanted to get Dead Reckoning, this giant zombie killing bus. <laughs> and I, I think he couldn't have gotten that yeah. <laughs> if he had if he had just done it independently. Uh, so Land of the Dead is, is perfectly fine. It's just it comes after those three movies. I think you said it well. It's just yeah. perfectly fine. It's, it's, it's yeah. And yeah. I think it had just too much interference, too mm-hmm. much going for it that it wanted a big blockbuster and it really didn't need to be. No, it's, it's a yeah. much more intimate film and, and you get that, you get that overall sense that it's, it's trying to actually be smaller than it is. Yeah. You know, yeah, like there's yeah. like, there's something to it, but I feel like he's, I feel like he's aiming big and aiming small at the same time. Yeah, I got the and same thing. Yeah. Then you get like he he moved on from that and he did Diary of the Dead, which was a found footage. Yeah, kind of like film. a YouTube. Yeah, and one of the first ones they kind of like a YouTube video. Yeah, it was definitely taking off right after like Cloverfield and like right when Paranormal Activity was hitting big. And Diary of the Dead again, like it's okay, it's it's all right. It's yeah. very, um, it's very simplistic, and it's it's trying to again send some of the same messages we've had before, and. Yeah. Then he did Survival of the Dead, and I honestly can't I can't defend Survival of the Dead. Uh, it's it's not very good. It's yeah. it's one of the it's one of the six where it's kind of like I'll do the dishes while it's on, yeah. and then I'm gonna keep watching <laughs> other things. <laughs> All so. right, excellent. Uh, let's go to the next one. All right, let's do uh, let's talk Reanimator. Ah, I, yes, um, kind of very much a version of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. right? Um, with Jeff Combs. Yep, Jeffrey Combs, who. Uh, just like he owns that part like i don't know if i could see someone else playing that role and and really connect to it in the same way i am smarter than everybody else yeah, yeah. It, it's <laughs> even though i'm it's not lo- but it's i yeah. about jim we're better than you and we know it better than- uh, <laughs> no i think yeah. yeah jeffrey combs owns the film uh i think both reanimator and bride of reanimator uh to a lesser extent but that one's it's a pretty strong film as well they're just they really own that that type of horror comedy where it like hinges on the horror, but it's got those moments again, that kind of they're like, we're going to get deep, dark, dangerous, and then lighthearted for a second, deep, dark, dangerous, lighthearted for a second. And, yeah. uh, what, what a cast too. Barbara Crampton is, is always great in the two. Uh, yeah. When you just, yeah, everyone in the when film, your creation is going to be a smart ass to you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. reanimator is just overall, like I, I can't sum it up enough with, just how much fun the movie is to watch. 
I, I can't tell you without, that you're going to be scared. Being dark too. Yeah, yeah like it's, it's got the darkness, it's got the comedy, but it just it's so much fun to watch yeah. this movie and watch the dynamic between its lead characters. Um, the special effects make it fun. I mean, yeah. obviously, they, and the special effects they've they've aged, but in a way where it's like the, it just brings up the camp factor. You know, like yeah. again, as you get older, you're going to notice these films aren't scary, but that that camp factor makes the enjoyment level just so much stronger. And I would take that over a CG version of Reanimator any day of the week. Studi- I mean, to be a real studios, actor, please don't yeah. do this. <laughs> to be a real actor and, and have your head on a platter on the table and, mm-hmm. and showing that and, and do, doing multiple takes and, and to do what that character does. <laughs> Which I'm not going to get into here, but it's R rated for a reason, folks. I would I would check out Reanimator though. Uh, I I caught it actually on Hulu about five six years ago. Yeah, and I think it was another one of these like just like 31 Days of Horror just brings me to some randomness. Uh, Stuart Gordon also did with Jeffrey Combs called Castle Freak mm-hmm. that came out in uh, early 90s. Um, kind of off the, straight to video at the time, but I highly recommend it whenever at the radio store and everybody liked it. It's it's a simple horror story of the family inherits a castle from the family, you know, long lost aunt, of course, mm-hmm. they inherit the castle, but it's not like completely vacant. And if, it's a simple story, everybody knows it, but I think it's shot really well. If yeah. you like Stuart Gordon stuff, if you like Jeffrey Combs and Reanimator, you definitely like Castle Freak. They are going to remake it, so we're going to have another version coming up probably next year castle mm-hmm. freak yeah. i'm i'm hearing good things at least from like the the script stage um i've i've listened to a couple people that i trust in the business who have read a version of the script that's being written okay and it sounds like it's very much a kind of a love letter to the original film in a lot nice. of ways so i'm hoping yeah. for good things um i think anytime you can adapt hp lovecraft you should do it because that's that's really where castle freak gets its its you know, it all is its a charm, and that's where yeah. Reanimator gets its charm. And uh, it breaks my heart that Del Toro never got to do his H.P. Lovecraft film, uh, which was the the Mountains of Madness. I think he was he tried for for years, and I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping this Oscar win that he got a couple years back might you know propel him to do whatever Probably. the heck he wants. But yeah, uh, Reanimator, check it out. Uh, seriously, it's, it's just a joyful time. And I would say if you can get your hands on the the two sequels, check them out too because they're both. They both have things about them that work really well. You know, I think Stuart Gordon did a short film of H.P. H.P. Lovecraft mm. story uh, for I think HBO or somebody did hired a, as at the maybe ten years ago or less. They hired film directors, horror film directors, to do short films mm. and present. It. Maybe it was like Cinemax and Stuart Gordon did one with Jeffrey Combs that was a H.P. Lovecraft story. Um, was that my, Masters of Horror? Masters of did Horror. Did Masters of Horror? Yes. Yeah, okay. Did a very I think that was Showtime. Um, Showtime did them. Yeah. But two seasons, 13 episodes. Yeah. Uh, I I have the first season of the Masters of Horror. Okay. And the only one that I really didn't like about among them is I, I've probably seen like 14 or 15 of them. I haven't seen the whole set, but the only one I didn't actually like was an Argento one uh, called Jennifer. I just think it was kind yes. of just overly gross out. And it's yeah. funny because I love Steven Weber and he, he starred in it too. And it's. It I just, you know, it, it felt like all the elements I was going to like, and then I just didn't, I didn't win for it. But there's one, uh, that sticks with me a lot that I think it's called Deer Woman. And I remember yeah, that. Yes. Deer yeah. Woman was really cool. And it's, there's something special about having an hour to tell your story. And just, you know, like, I think yeah. an hour is perfect. You know, you can yeah. get a lot of these, you know, where they just pack in all the good stuff, you know, in an There hour. was one with Ethan Embry as the bag, you know, the guy who wanted to train his girlfriend. I remember that. I can't. I, can't, I know I've seen that one yeah, too, but I can't yeah. think much about it. Uh, 
There was I was it Dance of the Dead. There was a Robert Anglin starring one. Oh, they're good. They're all, they're all of them just good. It was yep. a good idea. They should do it again. They they, they do- tried doing a well, it was kind of like a spinoff continuation, but it was for network TV called Fear Itself, which was just less successful. It just Man, didn't didn't really take off for me. Um, but if you like those kinds of anthologies, you know, and, and if you're a person who really appreciates like Tales from the Crypt, I always tell people go check out uh, go check out Nightmares and Dreamscapes which yeah. was an eight episode Stephen King anthology series. And each yeah. one of the episodes was like about 45 minutes and it was an adaptation of a story of his. And they got some pretty cool directors to work on different versions of it. But uh, each one kind of stands just on its own as like a neat little Stephen King story. It was on TNT. So they were able to get away with a little bit. but A <laughs> little bit. If you put it <laughs> you know? on at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. 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 So um, what else is next on the list? This is great. Uh, let's talk about actually... Yeah, let's talk about In the Mouth of Madness, which was John Carpenter's. Oh, uh, have you read Sutter Kane? Yeah. I When I met Stephen King earlier this year, I was wearing my Do You Read Sutter Kane t-shirt. <laughs> uh, because I... I thought he might get a kick out of it. I don't know because I know that like Sutter Kane is partially based on him and partially based on on Lovecraft. And so I was like, I'm going to wear this thing. And then like after I met him, I we had this great moment where we just chatted about stories for like five, ten minutes or so. And then afterwards he left and was talking to other people at this event. And as I'm like perusing around mingling and stuff, I just hear him go, hey, Sutter. And I go, he knows the shirt. Oh my gosh. So I had to like kind of move over and, and keep talking to him. I mean, like in the mouth of madness, you know, it, it caught me right at that moment where I was like, like peak discovery mode for Stephen King. Right. But then also it's, it's a John Carpenter film and John Carpenter is like, he's like Mount Rushmore of directors for me. The like, fascinating thing is the beginning. You see the end result, you know, what's yeah. going to happen. You see the end result, but then they're going to show you how you're going to get there. Yep. And then they show how, the beginning of how you get there. Like, how the heck are you going to go from this to what you just showed me? Mm-hmm. And the evolution is very fitting. It's very cool. And, and the thing about it, actually, I, I had forgotten the framing device as I was watching the film, just because it's like such an assault on the senses with everything they're throwing at you. I'd almost, I'd forgotten that there was a framing device until we got back to it. And I'm like, oh yeah, we're here. We're here again. And then the movie goes on for a little bit more. And you question uh, reality throughout the it's, whole It's thing. like, yeah, yeah, the perfect question reality film. Yeah. Like I, I think more so than a film like the matrix more so than uh existence or anything like that. Like this is a film that when you finish it, it's, there's parts of it that almost remind me kind of like a joke joker kind of a thing where it's just like, you know, laughing in the face of madness, which is yeah. what the film really is. It's just a person going steadily crazy. And if anybody doesn't you know the know. plot is you, mm-hmm. if you read a Sutter Kane book, what you're reading is eventually it's going to happen to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sutter Kane is, goes missing and he he's holding right. the manuscript for his newest book. And uh, I think his name God. is John Trenton played by Sam Neill is tasked with going to find Sutter Kane. And this is or, before, this is before he did event horizon. Yeah. yeah. This, this was just post Jurassic park kind of Sam yeah. Neill. And so he's right. sent out there to get Sutter Kane. And if you can't get Kane, just get the book. That's what he's told. Just get the book. We have to have it to our publishers. So like, you're on your di- you know, in discovery. You're on your investigation mm-hmm. to looking for that. Um, I think it was one of the last Charlton Heston's last movies. Of course he did the, Planet of the Apes was his last. We don't need to talk about that. Though. But this is fun, it's funny to watch it because then you're like, oh my God, that's Charlton Hesses as a book editor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's, yeah, he's, he's, again, like very small role. role but but he, he gets like that top billing credit too where you're like, oh yeah, Charlton Heston's in the movie, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
it, but it's, it's a fascinating journey. Yeah, and even it, when you I get there's the so many things about it yeah. that that work, and when you watch it again, there's so many things about it that work in a different way. And it's it's again like every time I view it, I fall in love with it more and more. It's uh, John Carpenter is I think the only person who's got two films on my top ten because I just couldn't decide between Halloween and In the Mouth of Madness. And you didn't even go with Prince of Darkness. I do like Prince of Darkness <laughs> a lot, but I I couldn't I couldn't give up a space. I know. You yeah. know, um, it's fascinating that he did Prince of Darkness after he did they live yeah he did after they i think live. it was just after yeah, yeah i believe so immediately um, after he filmed and then he went to go do prince of darkness so, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he actually views um prince of darkness as the second part of an apocalypse trilogy that begins with the thing goes into yeah. prince of darkness and ends in, in the mouth of madness so if you like one of those films if you've seen one of them go check out the other two there's a certain we certain theme in all three of them how yeah. of, something can contaminate you and spread to other people mm -hmm. apocalypse right. by evil you know like by right. true evil so right. very cool films and i think that's just why you know john carpenter cemented in my my mount rushmore like i wish he was still making movies because i would go see anything just because it's a john carpenter film yeah, you know. Uh, before you take a break, I always uh, watch uh, horror. There's a horror documentary. Mark Gratis, uh, he's from UK. He did a documentary about horror films, evolution from the black and white Nosferatu up to now. Mm. Uh, he got to interview John Carpenter, of course, uh, and he asked him, "What do you think of Cat People?" And he goes, "I think it's the most overrated film." <laughs> <laughs> Just show the cat. Just do it. Just give me cat. That's all <laughs> yeah. I really want. See, he's a cat guy too. He goes, just show it to me. And I got to agree with Even though I love cat people the movie, I got to agree with him. Just, mm -hmm. just show it to me. God he, dang it. Well, yeah. I wonder if he said, said the same thing watching Jaws. Just show it Where's to me. Where's the friggin' shark? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Show it to me. All right. We're going to take a little break and we'll be back with uh, Kyle's list. And then I got a little list of myself as well. Okay. Alexander P. Gutterman, the writer and director of the film In Winter is working on his next film, The Hunter. The Hunter, a film about a film about a play. A film director and her editor are struggling to complete a high-minded project about the vanity of human existence. Their film, which features pleasure seekers, thespians approaching opening night, a solitary philosopher, and other odd sorts trapped in an underground labyrinth, is running into delays and problems. Alexander P. Gutterman is working into a neoclassical exploratory vision, working into the traditions of European art house cinema like Tarkovsky, Berkman, Kurosawa, Kubrick, Vontier, Tar, and Jamoush. From his previous film in winter, New York City film blogger Steve Copeland called it a masterpiece of film. Other critics called it, it is a film of subtle, po quiet power. It is a film that's going to haunt you, hanging on around the edges of your consciousness. It is a wonderfully unflashy film, one that dares to take its time, and we are so much better for it. You need to see this film. Alexander P. Gutterman is working on his next film, The Hunter. If you are interested in contributing to this film, please visit its Indiegogo page. If you're interested in making a larger contribution, please email the provided link down below. Alexander P. Gutterman is working on his next film, The Hunter, filmed in Duluth, Minnesota, starring Nora Turgonski O'Brien, Jessica Graham, and Christopher Soren Kelly. 
Alexander P. Gutterman. Next movie is The Hunter. What do you do when the Lambeth has no exit? Well, hello everyone. I am Billy Dees from the self-titled Billy Dees Podcast. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and many more of the best podcast networks. Join me for my commentary and interviews. Follow me on Twitter, really easy to find, at Billy Dees. I am Billy Dees. I'd love to have you listen in. We're going to go back with Kyle's list here. So um, uh, thanks for uh, Go ahead and give us a list. Uh, All right. Uh, we got to talk about my favorite werewolf movie. We got we to gotta really get into it because werewolf movies don't get enough love. And most of them just like kind of like skirt under the radar but there's a, there's a lot of really good ones out there was there. a great scene in what we do in the shadows when they meet they yeah encounter the werewolves. They, there's supposed to be a spinoff called we are wolves really and i really want them to actually do that i think right now it's probably just going to get integrated into the show is they'll I just know. do a wolves like you know but part that of the whole season. scene where they meet the pack of werewolves it's guys so in the park don't get mad I, this is like my fifth pair of jeans this week yeah <laughs> I don't don't tick me off. I don't want to. Change. Oh man! <laughs> so they, they the were thinking about great. a spinoff of. They yep. should, yeah. So they should check that one out. But that's not that's not the one I picked. Uh, I gotta go with American Werewolf in London. Uh, I think John, John Landis? Landis just yeah. knocks it out of the park, and he's one of those guys again, like Jordan Peele, who proves that great comedy directors can do great horror and vice versa. And it's another adjective. You know, he always talks, John Landis always talks about, you know, these monsters don't exist. You know, everybody has these rules about all, you know, vampires all have to go out at night, you know, make up your own rules. And mm-hmm. he did with this movie that if you kill as a werewolf, your goat, this ghost will stay with you yeah. forever and t- stalk you and torment and you. And it's, it's like a new part of the mythology that yeah. is, has I, I, the problem is again, like with werewolf movies, not being successful and not really kind of like you know hitting at the mark every single time it doesn't get used as often but uh if you saw the the mummy film from 2017 they actually homage american world from london with that. How do you do that tom cruise's character his his close friend gets killed early in the film and keeps coming back as this rotting zombie oh telling God. him that you're gonna th- become like this i didn't think about that okay and it like the whole thing like if you if you listen to some of the ba- background stuff they said it's because we love american world from london it, it's too bad that they didn't love other great films that they could make the mummy into. Uh, but it's, it's kind of a cool thing that like it, it's still kind of carrying forward. Yeah. And it is probably the best element that that film brings to the table. And John is, it comes from comedy. He directed mm-hmm. animal house and all that animal uh, house, yeah. which if we ever talk top 10 comedies, you know, look forward to hearing about animal house. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Uh, that was the movie that really spawned thriller. 
Mm-hmm. Michael Jackson's thriller. Oh, yeah. He loved that movie so much. In fact, yeah, he recruited John Landis to direct his thriller video. Yep. I want to do this movie. And it's John like Landis is like... minute thriller video. <laughs> <laughs> I could just see John Landis. I'm not going to do this movie again. And yeah. so they had some... Incorporated some stuff into it that mm-hmm. make it a little bit not like the movie, but... <laughs> yeah. I don't know how he did it either. I, like, I don't know how, like, how you swing a director who's never done, like, music video stuff before and bring him into that, like... I don't know, but uh, Landis knocked it out of the park with Thriller, and I think he really did with American the Werewolf. Effects are wonderful. They're still great. They I mean, the hand grow and everything. Oh yeah, and the way they use uh, more than anything, I've noticed the, the most recent time I watched it was how the sound really hits it in that scene. Because when it, when the hand grows, like it, it could just look like yeah. could just look like Play Doh, but you hear like cracking of like twigs almost, like as the bones snap it looks and extremely painful. It looks painful, yeah, and it feels painful. Yeah. Um, like he doesn't want us to. No, I don't want to do this again. <laughs> yeah, and, and he know the problem is he knows it's coming. It's it's again like yeah. he he's fully aware that he is about to turn into something horrible, and he's you know he's at the point of please don't make me do it, you know. Yeah. And I think there's something haunting about the werewolf mythos in that way that we don't bit, really yeah, get to touch bit. on as much as, you know, like a vampire, they always tell you like, you're going to enjoy being a vampire. You know, Lost Boys tells us it's cool to be dead. So, uh, but like, like the Wolfman is always a tragic story. American werewolf is a tragic story. And even parts of the howling are a tragic story. You know, like yeah. that's really what the Wolfman is. You know, I would say he's probably the most tragic of like those universal monsters. I think the appeal is, it, you know, uh, I think the appeal for werewolf is going back to your animalistic traits of just yeah. not behaving of society, mm-hmm. of being civil, of just being animalistic, just eat meat and yep. go out and rage. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that kind of like, we don't want to be that anymore. Like we want to be civilized, but there's a part of us that will always be an animal. Yeah. And I think that's what calls back to it. And, and you can see that with uh, American werewolf because the things that he does when these like senses and urges take over you know it are very much like you know you're going to have these urges son you know and you know they're very animalistic and they're raw but they're also kind of like yeah i could see myself doing that if i was a werewolf yeah um it's different from the howling mm-hmm. because howling is more like a cultish group of yeah. like a secret society that they're, i think it was like a uh health resort that she goes and she realizes that everybody's turning mm-hmm. um if you don't want to know the ending about the howling i'm please fast forward but i think the ending of the howling is far more fascinating of an ending because it's that lady at the restaurant yeah the very supermodel lady sitting at the restaurant she's ordering a steak and mm-hmm. then she's like well how would you like your steak and she looks right at the camera they're very sexual just rare rare <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's there's been other werewolves movies I think been done really well. Jack mm-hmm. Nicholson did it I think really good. Yeah, him Wolf, and Michelle yeah. Pfeiffer. Um, I don't think they knew how to do an ending to it, but there's some components of werewolf in the movie Wolf. Michael mm-hmm. uh, Mike Nicholson directed it. Yeah, that I think are fascinating. That if somebody gets bit by a dog and that he realizes these things are happening and all of a sudden he's smelling things and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. This whole you know the whole Jack Nicholson does a perfect God dang it you know? yeah <laughs> yeah i think you know if you're talking like trifecta I, I i gotta say the wolfman is phenomenal from 1941 uh and then i would Chaney say like looks he's just got the face for it well yeah, and those are ones too were like yeah. if i think the proof is is if you can do a werewolf movie where the effects work still yeah. then the movie is going like the effects that translate all the way to the day the 41 wolfman still has great effects 
for a film where they just kind of did like almost like stop motion kind of you know effects where like the hair just grows a little bit and we keep like slowly like dissolving into it yeah. they still look great and that's the same thing of the howling the howling the effects are the best part of the movie yeah, they're, they're, they're just phenomenal there's that scene where uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the character name but you know he does that, like that full werewolf transformation and it's just as good as American werewolves where yeah. they but it's it's different and he, again like he's a guy where like he's a villainous character and he enjoys becoming the wolf man uh, right there's a and for the howling there's an enticement to be part of this group rather yeah. than American werewolves you don't want to ever be part of this transition or be affected yeah, <laughs> this, yeah. and American werewolf was you can tell again like it had a sequel uh, about 15 years later called American Wolf in Paris, yeah. which if you watch that film, you can see some of the major differences is that just everything about it is a ripoff to a lesser extent. And that includes the special effects. They, they go full CGI werewolf. Yes, they do. And it has do. not aged well. <laughs> no. It didn't look very good when it came out. I think out, there's, there's a whole aged. jumping off the Eiffel Tower scene into yeah. it. I didn't know that if I remember. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's just one of those sequels that, you kind of wish that it didn't have a name that sounded as similar yeah, yeah because just, you because you don't want people to accidentally watch that one and then be like what was he talking about this movie's not you know terrible yeah um, but i've had people that i've told like watch american werewolf in london and they watch paris and they think i can't trust anything he says anymore <laughs> <laughs> so london people london yeah uh, is that the list uh that's most of the list um i gotta real quick give a shout out to saw i I think Saw is so the cool. The first one. The first one. I'm I'm a Saw head though where like I really like all of the films but I will appreciate the fact that they're not as good and that they each kind of have this diminishing quality to them. I um, did like the, for the original Saw, the first one, I did mm-hmm. like it that is a little bit of a police investigation. It's not so much the horror. There's a little more of like a murder mystery going back yeah. to the original. And it's, it's a character study yeah. with a lot of mythology to it. A lot of you branches know? of this, yeah, from the going from a horror, horror film or... Um, almost like Science of the Lambs, you're trying to find the killers and oh, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, and it's it's got a, the the best cast of any of those films is in the first one. You get a Danny Glover as a cop, which I mean, my inner lethal weapon was just crying Carrie out loud. Carrie Elwes does yes. such amazing work. He he's one of the most underrated actors ever. Yeah. Just he appears in all of these different films, and he's never the guy that you talk about, you know. Yeah. And he was great. Like even this this summer, he was on Stranger Things. He had a good arc as the mayor of Hawkins, and He's not the part people are going to talk about, but he's just so darn good when he's there too. Uh, So Carrie Elwes, you know, is phenomenal. I did like the casting for it. I think Mm -hmm. it fit very well together. And, and, you know, it's, it's a, even if you know the ending, it's fun to watch how that's played out. Yeah. It's a film that's, it's ending is ruined by the number of sequels that it has (laughs) because you, you know, you can kind of put together the ending of the film before it happens. Um, But you get a guy like, I praise James Wan uh, as like, I will do, I will watch whatever he makes now. He, he makes such great films that, you know, or at least fun films. Like I can't say Aquaman is a great movie, but it was definitely fun to watch. You I will, know, he, I'll put it there. Yeah. He has tasks like uh, forming Furious 7 after one of his lead actors dies in the middle of production. Like I, I don't even know the kind of burden of putting together a film when Paul Walker passes away and you have to like find a way to work around it. Like that's, it's an impossible task. He made, you know, what's commonly considered as one of the greatest horror movies of all time, the the conjuring, which is like probably the most recent film to enter the like greatest talk. And then I think he actually one ups it with the conjuring Two. I have the conjuring Two on my list as well. And I think the conjuring Two is such a great 
character driven horror film uh i I can't like talk enough about james wan he's just brilliant and i'd watch anything he does all right well that's that's your list Mm -hmm. um i'm gonna start mine yeah uh kind of familiar uh i'm gonna go with the prowler 1981 oh um if you have not seen it um it's fascinating because uh not only when it came out in 1981 but it came out the same time as my bloody valentine came Mm -hmm. out both have the same kind of plot. That's kind of, you find this when you watch movies that sometimes movies come out and they have the same kind of plot yeah. and there's going to be a high school dance and of course somebody doesn't like that there's going to be a high school dance coming around and people are getting murdered. Uh, the, the, the bad guy is dressed in World War II army fatigues and plays out the story. Um, one of the first original hard gore films that came out it started in 1981 with this film called The Prowler. Mm. Um, the other reason I would put it out there is uh, because it's directed by Joseph Zito, who also did a lot of uh, action movies with Chuck Norris, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, Mission in Action and um, Invasion USA. But he also directed uh, Friday the 13th Part 4. Yeah, the final chapter. The final chapter. And then he brought in with his makeup special effects guy, Tom Savini. Mm-hmm. Tom Savini. So um, not really just for... Um, pleasure of films but this because of his work it's a really good footnote and i think he got to start with working with the prowler i think you all our horror fans should really watch the prowler hmm. you know what's funny about zito on uh the final chapter was he almost he either almost got punched in the face by the actor playing jason or he did get punched in the face by the actor playing <laughs> it depends jason. on who told you right I, yeah i can't really remember how the story ends uh yeah i know the swing probably happened but he basically uh he had a sequence in which one of the teenagers was naked out on a raft in the middle of the lake of course as these movies do and it was freezing cold temperatures and he kept like demanding that we do the scene again we do the scene again and like she was getting hypothermia and J- the actor playing jason's a stunt guy and he's under the water so like he's dealing with it the best way he can but he sees this girl like suffering and he goes and tells you know joe i'm walking if, if we if we continue doing this and zito made a threat back to him or something like that and then the two like almost you know started throwing hands and tossing and it's like it's not it's rare that you side with jason but i side with jason on that art yeah, like, <laughs> all right well, i just go. don't feel it take 20 out there yeah yeah i um let's go with texas chainsaw massacre okay uh toby hooper definitely just from a scratch fingernail budget mm-hmm. made a remarkable movie and i really put it as a good footnote because it um it's considered gory, but it's not really gory. There's hardly any blood into it. Yeah. It, it's a film where you remember it gorier than it is. Yeah. I, I think about the film and I'm like, gosh, that was really bloody for the time. And then I watch it and I'm like, no, it wasn't. It's just it's my head. <laughs> it's in my head. Um, the, the shot where the girl walks into the house, mm-hmm. there's a low tracking shot. I think you follow her looking up at her as mm-hmm. she walks the house and you realize her, her back is exposed. You already feel that this is not going to be good. Yeah. you. It's a foreshadowing that you're like, this is not going to be good at all. Mm-hmm. And then when her boyfriend follows and you see what happens to him and then you see Leatherhead, Leatherface slam the door on oh, it. The slamming of the door thing is is the most iconic shot in that movie to me. Uh, yeah. I think that sequence of him getting the mallet and then the violent shaking and dragging him and shut the door. And then you're left like, what the hell was that? Yeah. I think the whole thing is like two and a half, three seconds. Just, you know, hit, close, drag. <laughs> like and then over. you see what happens at the Amazon of the kitchen. But I think with those few moments, it captures horror, especially from the late 70s. Mm-hmm. And I think it really it's just remarkably been dead because you don't really see anything it's yeah. all implied um one of the great endings because it's a dance of 
the but it has ending frustration mm-hmm. of him in the cameraman doing this you almost think the cameraman is going to get hit I yeah. don't know how he did not get hit. I think that was wasn't that uh, like just done on the spot, like yeah. lem, like Gunnar Hansen just like let me let me do this, and they just did it like no choreography, no at all. choreography. Just like, yeah, I don't know how he did not get hit or anything, and uh, and I think even Toby Hooper's thought he was like maybe we'll just have you toss it, and they're like no, we're not going to yeah. throw this thing, <laughs> which all plays a part of this whole very Gonzo filmmaking that happened to make this movie, and then mm-hmm. they put it in a truck and went to Hollywood and sold it, and then just. And it was, I think, a film that had what based on a true story. And yeah, it was a little one of the bit, films yeah. that broke that based on a true story thing because it's not based on a true story. It's based on like 30 different serial killers <laughs> that they just kind of took bits they all liked. And it's one of those rare films, I think, uh, that one and then Amityville Horror. People said, uh, well, is Amityville Horror is based on a true story. And then like, I think somebody who worked on the film said, well, yeah, the, there's a real house that we saw that had these windows and we just put a ghost story in there. Yeah. Like that was his version of based on a true story. So if you hear based on a true story for your film, it's, it's, it's 98%. Not always, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I like what the Texas, what Texas Chainsaw Massacre present is also be careful where you travel. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of road movies, definitely road horror movies. So be careful going into people's backyards. You'll probably see something that you don't want or you, you are invading, right? Mm-hmm. You're coming into generations of families that maybe they're not going to be you know, want to see you. you yeah. Um, I'm going to put on there uh, definitely uh, with Vincent Price um, because Vincent, remember Vincent Price's voice is in the thriller. Yes, it is. And you mm-hmm. use it. For, so I think Michael Jackson knew they had to put Vincent Price in there. But um, with all the movies he did, um, I'm going to put The Mask of Red Death as something you should see. Okay. Um, Edgar Allan Poe movie or Edgar Allan Poe's story turned into a movie directed by Roger Corman. Yeah, Corman, okay. So that's the other reason. It's not a great horror movie, but I think it's accomplished actors and accomplished filmmaker at the Mm -hmm. time, and I think it's a go check it out as somebody who makes really good cheap movies. Yep. And and the metaphor of it is people who, when death is at your door, let's have a party, which is not what you want to do. I don't think people, the whole point of the emphasis of the book is you're don't forget you're going to die someday mm-hmm. you, you know you can party and think everything is going to be forever but it's not going to happen you can't shut death out it's going to come eventually yep so that it's funny i was actually just reading about uh the edgar Allan poe adaptations by corman and and uh, i think it was joe dante who went back and said like if you want to see peak corman it's his it's his edgar Allan poe films uh, and really i think like, he, yeah. he named a different one uh, was it Tomb of Lygia? Tomb of Lygia? I think okay. that was a, an Edgar Allan Poe one as well. And he said, like, this is another one where it's just like, it's it's right where it needs to be. <laughs> um, Roger Corman also did a 1992 Frankenstein Unbound. It's a pretty mm. much back to future with Frankenstein. Oh, really? It's, yeah. a, it's a car that goes back in time. And the guy wants to meet Dr. Frankenstein, but he's a time traveler. Um, Jonathan Hurt's in there. Mm. Uh um, one of the Fonda, Bridge of Fonda is in there, um, and Raul Julia is playing Frankenstein. Mm. That's a fun little, fun little silly movie. But if you can, if you can find a copy, Frankenstein Unbound mm. is a, definitely a Roger Corman like kind of fun mm-hmm. horror movie. We had talked actually about like when you, you know, when we used to have video stores and like you'd go in and like the cassette was always taken from the ones that you wanted. I'm pretty sure that was one of them too, where I'd walk by and had a really nice cover to it. And yeah. anything with Frankenstein is going to get me excited. You know, it was one of the first like horror books I'd ever read. And it's, you know, I got to reach out and check that one out because I've heard of it. I've seen the cover. Never really actually reached out for the movie, but I'm going to do it now. I'm going to find it. 
Raul Julia plays the most arrogant. Don't mess with me, Doctor Frankenstein. Mm. Just, just arrogant, pompous. And then, of course, the time traveler goes, "I know what you did." Mm-hmm. And the whole town, even him, is like, "How do you know?" <laughs> well, I'm a time traveler. Um, I'm going to go with another horror movie uh, called The Initiation with Daphne Zuniga. Um, definitely one of those psychological. Came out in 1984. Definitely one of those psychological. Have a soror- sorority involved initiation. That's mm-hmm. the name of the book. Um, but it deals with a lot of 80 themes. I think it's a pinnacle of 80 horror of indulgence shopping balls girls um charles pratt jr who was the writer um eventually went on to be the head writer for soap operas like young arrestless so you have to know where this is going to come from <laughs> all right but it doesn't have like harsh horror elements to it it definitely is a slasher movie but it has some tropes that you maybe find familiar and enjoy and you love the hairspray mm. there you go. <laughs> that's fair I, I i that's another one i've heard of haven't gotten the chance to really dive into it. Yeah, I think it's it'd be, it'd be worth it. I think hmm. it's one of those yeah, little. So got some spaces open at the end of the month, <laughs> so we might be able to make this work. I know I'm I'm trying to work around uh, watching Lord of Illusions after you suggested it. Uh, oh, another back one. during like my first appearance on the show yeah. is it's it's like still right in at there. the top, man. We're still we're really there. kind of just raring for it. I think the wife's not going to go for it, so I might just like pull the trigger on it when just she's not it. around. So <laughs> it's got Scott Bakula in it. Just do yeah, it, man. I mean, I there's nothing you need to say more than Scott Bakula. So. It's got this very much like prestige and this Jim Jones cult vibe to it. Makes your Clyde Barker threw a lot of stuff at it. Mm. So. Um, so I'll put those two films. I'm really going to try and squeeze those in this month. Right. Um, before we go, <laughs> it was last night I was watching because I was on cable. Uh, uh, Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. Um, which I aesthetically just uh, please. It's got Carrie Ellis. Mm-hmm. Of course, yes, we're not going to talk does. about that. Even though he's in it, he's not talking talk about him. But I think overall, the look, the texture, the feel of it is wonderfully done. They're very true to the book. Yes. But I think it just, and I've talked with other friends, it just doesn't have to me like a soul to it. It doesn't have like a heart to it. I think everything is so pleasing to it, but it doesn't really have like something that I would say, wow, that's a great movie. Mm-hmm. You know? When I think I, I've read Dracula, the book, and I kind of feel like it's a really good translation of that because yeah. I also feel like the book doesn't have a lot of soul to it. I'm going to get some hate for this maybe, but, but Bram Stoker's original novel, I don't think is, it's a great story. I just don't think it's a great novel, you know, like where all the mythology very, to it, everything yeah. that happens is really good, but it's kind of just tame, soulless. Uh, and I think actually I, I really dig hit, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, well, not only that, he put elements of old filmmaking into it. Yeah. You know, the old, you know, going into town when Gary Oldman has the, the rejuvenated Dracula, the old wind up 20 you know oh yeah 28 frame film and put it into it down the old film techniques and old costumes is yeah if i'm correct i believe i i, I believe the entire film is done in camera like all the effects yeah. are done in camera like for there's there's a scene where uh like uh or i guess a trans transition where they're showing a train moving by and like the part of the frame is the train moving and part of it's someone reading out of a, a book yeah and they built a giant book so that they could capture that shot in camera and only like only a psychopath who who directed like the godfather one and two and then went mad making apocalypse now could possibly have decided i'm just gonna make this film all in camera and you can see like in that way you know the the effects again kind of like what we talked about with reanimator where like the effects 
weren't like always extremely good in the film and they haven't aged to a level of you know still believability but some of the effects still have that charm of like the older that's what I was, yeah you said it much you better know? than I would. it has a charm of elements of what they even do with nosferatu of reverse exposure yeah. of of lucy when she's exposed you know, lucy comes in front with the crucifixion she goes back in the tomb which is actually a yeah. reversal you, you can see if you put you know it's actually her coming out but they reverse it to look like she's going yeah into the and I, on the subject of Bram Stoker's Dracula, I got sure. I got to give one more. Like, it's not a good movie, but I really enjoy watching it, and it's actually a spoof of Bram Stoker's Dracula and a lot of Dracula stuff. It's Mel Brooks's Dracula, Dead and Loving It. It was one of the last films that Mel Brooks did in his like spoof films, and he has Leslie Nielsen playing Dracula. Yeah, and yeah, I know it's yeah. just brilliant. And I, I initially, again, as as a younger person, I rented it thinking it was going to be a scary movie, <laughs> and. I think part of it, like I, I got the scares out that I needed to at that age, yeah. but I was so fascinated. It was my first introduction to Mel Brooks and it's still one of my favorites, even though I have to acknowledge it's probably one of his worst films. But if you're a big fan of vampires and if you're a big fan of like uh, the, the Dracula mythos, if you enjoy a film like Young Frankenstein, there's some really good nuggets of enjoyment to get out of Dracula Dead and Loving It. Yeah. And I think especially like coming off of Bram Stoker's like, oh, it's just a brilliant spoof movie. Um, one of the things I noticed in the Bram Stoker's Dracula before we go, mm-hmm. uh, Keanu Reeves is in it. Yes. Uh, and, and there's a scene where he gets seduced by Dracula's concubines. One of them is Monica Bellucci. Yes, it is. And um, in the movie Dracula, they have a very long, passionate makeout session, which he also got to do. Make Keanu Reeves got to kiss Maka Bellucci in Matrix Revolution. Mm-hmm. I hate him. You don't like Keanu Reeves? He made out with Monica twice. Yeah. <laughs> You should bow to him. <laughs> Every person should bow to Keanu Reeves right. because I'm fairly certain he was bitten by a, a vampire while making Dracula because he hasn't aged in 25 years. So That is a charm life. You got a bull on film, right? That man has just succeeded where all of us have failed and we need to accept it and move on. <laughs> if, he can, if he can survive the kind of punishment he received for his portrayal in the Dracula movie, we can survive not uh, not getting to kiss my I know. It, it could be hard. You could be harsh. I'm going to... But, but Jonathan Harker, there is nothing to him for that character. No, there, there is isn't. nothing. And right. They even kind of point that out actually in Dracula Dead and Loving It. Steven Weber plays the the Jonathan Harker character. And all he seems to do the entire film is just repeat the exposition that other people have said. Yeah. That's <laughs> because yeah, much the character is not in every single version of it. The character is very rarely seen as a as anyone of real merit. I think the only yeah. film where you see Jonathan Harker do anything that I can recall is the 1931 Dracula. Cause they were starting to, they chopped out a few characters and kind of condensed it down. So they could get the film runtime down to like 70 minutes. Cause it didn't want to be too long. And that's the only time you ever see Jonathan Harker really rise to the occasion. Um, but every other version of it, I mean, he's kind of just, it's kind of like a little exposition bot. He's kind of partially Renfield, you know, in some versions of it. So, yeah. you know, you get what you, you get what you can. And Keanu Reeves, I don't fault you for it, man. I don't. You gave us John Wick. You gave us Matrix. You gave us Bill and Ted. We'll, we'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the end. Then uh, close up to the podcast. Uh, looking forward to Doctor Sleep. I know you're a huge Stephen King fan. I'm extremely excited for the two and a half hour Doctor Sleep movie. I'm getting my popcorn. I'm going to get my small soda and I'm going to be ready to go. Um, definitely they're going to use some elements from The Shining. Yes. Looks like some. I'm actually of- rereading The Shining right now. So that I can read Doctor Sleep because I've never read it before. Uh, I, no, I want to read it before the movie comes out. <laughs> did you see Ready 
Player One. Yes, I did. Now, did you enjoy uh, the certain? So, real quick, I yeah. I read the Ready Player One book before the movie came out. They're both okay. so different. There is no shining stuff in no that's spielberg right um, yeah that's spielberg just doing the thing that he loves most what's great about it is that he knew that making ready player one the book would have been very boring there's a lot of sequences where like the main character is playing pac-man and like that would not have been cinematic so he kind of took the shell of ready player one and made it his own i think the shining thing like when that happens in the the movie where they're talking about like what's something where like the original author hated it but the other guy's known for it like what is it i was like in the theater i was gonna like the shining it's the shining and then like when they start to go there i just i lost myself I oh lost my god it's like a morbius strip of, oh it's so great of <laughs> it's a morbius strip of kubrick didn't like the material in the book so he's mm-hmm. going to use all his elements in the movie so the author didn't like it so spielberg did it with ready player one there's some elements to the book i'm not lagging so i can put my own oh thing. yeah <laughs> yeah except the the <laughs> guy the guy the who shark. wrote the book did a, did a draft of the screenplay for ready player one so he even knew that it wasn't gonna work <laughs> and so. then he put the shining as a foot like i'm gonna do my own thing spielberg probably just called him and he's like you gotta put the shining in there man <laughs> <laughs> all right that's the end of the podcast um Gosh, enjoy your Halloween, man. Did you get your decorations out? I did. Yeah, I didn't get as many as I got like six or seven bins. So like yeah. I, I got like two or three of them out. <laughs> I got All enough right. to kind of keep it going. Don't come to my house. I'm sending. I'm I'm not not I'm not giving out candy. It's hard boiled eggs. Oh, OK. There you go, so well, I could use some breakfast. So I'll some breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I am nice. They're not raw. Yeah, they're Damn. fine. You did the work. Right. well thanks again kyle uh thanks for your list um and once again kyle's doing his 31 days of horror and you could catch it on his gold film reviews website um mm-hmm. each day he's going to provide a new review um that's the end of the podcast happy halloween everybody and it's not over till kyle says it's over all right it's over 